1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the Week that was. When Libby welcomed the Zoomer squad on Monday, everyone was reminiscing about Hazel McCallion. The iconic former longtime Mississauga mayor died the day before on Sunday just two weeks shy of her 102nd birthday. In addition to her many accomplishments as mayor, Hazel was also a friend to Zoomer Media, having graced the cover of Zoomer Magazine when she was 98 and engaging in a meaningful conversation about aging with Libby Snymer for Zoomer TV when Hazel became a centenarian. In fact, we will replay part of that conversation tomorrow on Zoomer weekend in review after the noon news here on Zoomer Radio. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. And Peter Mugrich is Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Libby began the conversation asking Peter about one of the pictures taken of Hazel during the Zoomer Magazine photo shoot.
2: So the the photographer wanted to get like the hurricane hazel effect. So he he got her to put on a leather jacket and a pilot's cap. Yeah, and then he got her to stand on this little bench, you know, a foot off the ground, um, and turned on a big fan to get to get a. <laughs> yeah, a I remember that him. shot. And um and her her sort of her EA was saying no 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 don't don't do it don't do it you know um you you're know, she's gonna fall down and she <laughs> said no no I'm gonna do it and she stood there for for a minute. While this heavy wind was blowing on her and just completely fearless, you know.
3: I think what's amazing with her is um, not just the long life, but how active she was and how accomplished she was. At ages that are typically seen as a time to slow down, I mean, she doesn't get elected mayor of Mississauga in the first place till so she's like fifty-seven or fifty-eight, mm-hmm. and then she's chancellor of Sheridan College yeah. in her nineties. She's an advisor to Doug Ford in her nineties. So she's Rivera. She worked at Rivera. Rivera. As well. yeah. uh, she's an executive at Rivera in yeah. her late nineties. Yeah. So. She's doing stuff. It's not that she's living longer, which is, thank heavens, and good for her. But she's doing stuff that is serious accomplishments, not to mention playing hockey until her at least her 80s. Well into her, yeah. Well into her 80s. So where do you find this? That's why (laughs) she's an original
4: and and, uh, uh, unbelievable. There's this whole issue of purpose. and, And she wrote a book, Think Like a Mayor... Act like a lady, work like a dog. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> and you know what? And she demanded that everyone else around her do the same thing. And, you know, she kept up a legendary schedule on uh, <laughs> of appointments and, and dinners and speeches and charitable events. And
3: she but you, was, she but you was said everywhere we're at purpose. all times. That's right. And she, she was quoted. She boiled it all down to that central thing, always have a purpose. Yeah.
4: Well, you know, and we know this. Uh I've done, uh, you know, quite a number of stories on the importance of having a purpose, and it's it's not even necessarily that important what the purpose is, but it, it seems to be the key to keeping us uh, alive and healthy.
3: Mm-hmm. And engaged. And yeah. engaged. Yeah. Well, the purpose is the engagement. Right. The stuff yeah. I want to do, which in turn means I perceive I have time to get it done, which in turn means... I better figure out what to do and how to do it, which is what keeps that activity mm-hmm. going.
5: Mm-hmm. But if I could uh, add, you know, I uh, worked with uh, with her uh, a little over 30 years ago. When I was with the YMCA, we were building what was then the new Mississauga uh, YMCA. And uh, I was the staff person who was assigned to work with uh, her in terms of the development uh, and the fundraising for that uh, uh for that facility and I say work with her because I really I found out how direct she was I worked for Hazel uh during those days and uh, but she was am- amazing I was at that point uh, a senior fundraiser with the YMCA understood the ins and outs of raising the dollars. And she caught on extremely quickly in terms of the nuances of both what we were doing and her vision of what that facility should do for for the community. And it ended up being one of the finest YMCA's of, in Canada in its day uh, uh, that uh, particular uh, building and she had a, a strong hand in it and it ended up being much more than just an advisor but through it all she was lovely to work with she you never felt that she was ordering you around or that she was uh, uh, somehow just using her position to get her own way she really did work uh, cooperatively but firmly with those people who were uh, asked to work with her.
1: Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. And Peter Muggridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. As the week began, we heard from the Director General of the World Health Organization, who had decided COVID-19 remains a global health emergency. Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus declared that we are in a much better place now than a year ago when the Omicron variant was at its peak, and we may be reaching what he calls an inflection point. On the negative side, over the last couple of months— Around 170,000 people have died around the world because of COVID-19. So where do we go from here? Libby was joined by two experts to discuss. Dr. Prabhat Jha is an epidemiologist and faculty member at the Dalla Atlanta School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. And Dr. Christopher Labos is a cardiologist and epidemiologist based in Montreal.
6: In some respects, nothing has changed. I think what the World Health Organization has signaled is what I think most of us would probably agree with. You know, the situation here in Canada is you know, uh, arguably better than it was three years ago and certainly better than it was one year ago. But the role of the WHO is not to comment on the situation in Canada. The role of the WHO is to coordinate the international health response when you have a global problem. And I think it would have been really hard for somebody to look at the data and say, hmm, 170,000 people have died in the past two months, everything's fine. So there is still a role for the WHO to play, and this is what they do. This is the mechanism they use to signify that a global international response is needed to combat this particular disease. They declare a public health emergency of international concern, and that allows them to coordinate and to mobilize certain resources, and this is what they're talking about, because yes, we are in a, you know, slightly better place than we were before, but there's still a lot of work that has to be done. We have to coordinate a vaccine rollout. There's still a lot of places where vaccines have not been administered to, you know, a very high level. And there's going to have to be an ongoing process to sequence and test for COVID so that we can identify new variants and then update the vaccines to reflect those new variants. So there's still a lot of work that has to be done. And I think the point to remember is that you know, when they use the term public health emergency, that doesn't mean you have to be running around with your hair on fire, but it does mean that you need to do something about it, and that's what the WHO is, is for.
4: Uh, Dr. Jha, is, is this going to impact uh, anything about what we are doing here, or uh, is just stay the course?
7: It should impact what we do globally, as my colleague has said, that uh, in Canada, we've got reasonably good levels of what. Is WHO is also labeled as hybrid immunity. That's a combination of vaccination and infection. So, our national antibody study, the ABC study, has shown that over seventy percent of adult Canadians have been infected, um, mostly with the Omicron variant, and uh, we know over ninety percent have had these two doses of the vaccine. So that puts Canada on the whole, in reasonably good places, are better in that way than, for example, the U.S. But the concern is there are large parts of the world that are unvaccinated or under-vaccinated, and as we've seen in China, still undergoing um, a new wave of Omicron infections in, in China, and hopefully It might just be one wave, but there's no certainty of that. They might have subsequent waves. And then there's, if you look at places like uh, Africa, uh, they have had widespread infection, but very low vaccination. So there, think of them as a hybrid immunity wall where you want a combination of vaccination and infection. Just relying on infection alone in Africa might be the recipe for new variants to arise in which would put us back uh potentially back in canada if a variant came out that uh, uh our current vaccines don't work as well against so for all those region uh, reasons we have to be diligent uh, you know the world's one crowded apartment building and you can't think of well a few places have smoke detectors and and uh, fire alarms and sprinklers and the rest don't. I mean, the whole the whole building is at risk here, which is what WHO has identified. So, I would have liked to see uh, Prime Minister Trudeau say to all the provinces, "You want more money for health care? Build a national vaccination program that vaccinates every adult against these routine conditions, and which is ready to add new vaccines as they come along." That would have been. A very efficient use of uh, of the, the political uh, capital. That, uh, but uh, I hope they still can make that case that we need to build a national program, and Canada could lead by example.
1: Dr. Prabhat Jha, epidemiologist and faculty member at the Dalla Atlanta School of Public Health at the University of Toronto, and Dr. Christopher Labos, cardiologist and epidemiologist based in Montreal. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, how the fight against cancer is changing on this World Cancer Day.
0: you're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio heard weekdays from noon to one good isn't good enough make way for the best of fight back with jane brown on zoomer radio welcome back
1: Today, February 4th, is World Cancer Day, with cancer still the leading cause of death in Canada. It's responsible for more than 28% of deaths in this country, even though the mortality rate has dropped significantly in the last 30 years. Lung cancer remains the leading cause of cancer death. And nearly one in two Canadians, 43%, will be diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime. According to new stats out of the U.S., nearly 2 million Americans will receive that diagnosis this year. Libby reflected on the progress against cancer when she was joined by the medical record panel this past Wednesday. Dr. Fahad Razak is an internist and epidemiologist at Unity Health Toronto. Dr. Alyssa Naiman is a family physician and founder and medical director of the Medical Station in Toronto. And Dr. Malcolm Moore is a medical oncologist at Princess Margaret Cancer Center.
8: In Canada, the the death rate from cancer is about eighty five thousand people a year, and about um, probably uh, I think two hundred thousand a year diagnosed 200, 250,000 a year diagnosed. So it's it's approximately you know dividing by ten, and you know the figures are are. Staggering it also, I mean, a, a quarter of us will die from cancer, and uh, half of us will develop cancer in our lifetime. So it is arguably the health challenge of this generation, uh, and the leading cause of uh, premature death, I think. The other thing I would like to say is, is that one of the points of World Cancer Day is to focus on the fact that this is just not a problem in the developed, developed countries. But if you look at the developing countries in Africa or South America, you might think their biggest health challenge is HIV or malaria or other infectious diseases. It's not. It's cancer. The life expectancy in these countries has increased, and they have major challenges providing cancer services to these uh, developing countries. And I think part of the intent of World Cancer Day is, is to focus attention on that as well.
4: Dr. Neiman, uh in your practice, uh, does that uh, very scary statistic of nearly one in two, are you seeing that? And, and you know, cancer is a, a disease of aging, and our population is aging.
9: Um,
8: I don't know if I see one in two, but um, in the last couple of weeks, I've had three patients who've been diagnosed with cancer and currently are undergoing treatment. I think it's the biggest fear of everybody, anytime anybody has a headache or any new symptom, their first fear is that they have cancer. I know all women become very concerned about breast cancer. Um, so it's just, it's the biggest fear that people have, probably more than heart disease, although heart disease is the number one killer, but everybody is terrified of getting cancer. That I
4: can tell you. Okay. And Dr. Razak, um, uh, what is your experience of, of that?
10: Yeah, actually, it's, um, I, you know, so I, I care for patients who are hospitalized um, with acute issues, including cancer related issues, but could be a heart attack, could be pneumonia, could be COVID. And the statistic of one in two affected, I think, is really something that is notable to me in the sense that we have many people who come in with uh, an unrelated to cancer health issue, let's say a pneumonia, and you'll see that they are a cancer survivor. It's, really is uh, miraculous to see how long people have lived that many people who now survive through an initial cancer diagnosis because of the advances in treatment and who are getting up to older age where now the issues they're facing are not from that cancer but from unrelated issues and so I think the advances that we've seen the reduction in mortality that was uh, flagged in this U.S. report there's been remarkable progress obviously still an incredible amount to do and I think it's a really a condition that affects all of us. All of us have friends and family who've been directly impacted by this. So you can see both the advances that are made, but still the enormous suffering from it.
4: Mm-hmm. And uh, my understanding is that still in the last decade, the biggest advance, Dr. Moore, is immunotherapy.
8: Yeah, I think, I think that would be fair to say. Uh, I mean, as our understanding of cancer
4: as a disease has
8: increased, then, then we have been able to develop new therapies. But I think, I think what people need to understand is that cancer is not going to be solved by a single discovery or a single drug or a single treatment. And if you look at this, the statistics, you know, there's been, let's say a 33% reduction in cancer deaths over the last 30 years. I mean, that's been a slow, gradual improvement. It's sort of been 1% to 2% a year. It isn't like there's been a jump all of a sudden from, you know, 50% survival to 70% survival. But I I think there's no question this idea of turning your own immune system uh, against the cancer uh, has been the most exciting development in cancer therapy in the past 10 years. I'd certainly agree with that.
4: Do we know, and I say we, I mean researchers know, uh, why it works in certain cancers and not others, and in certain people and not others?
8: You know, that's a really good question, and the answer is we don't really know. Like, we do know that there are certain cancers, lung cancer, skin cancer, kidney cancer, where immune-based therapies are more effective than some other tumors, but identifying the patients where immunotherapy is going to work effectively versus not effectively. We are able to do that to some degree now by some certain genetic tests that we can do, but it's still not an exact science. But there's a lot of work going on in that area to try and understand the exact mechanisms what whereby you can stimulate your own body's immune system to fight off your cancer.
4: And, and on the cancer note, I have to extend congratulations to, uh, one of Dr. Moore's colleagues, and, uh, I have the honor to be involved in this, but, uh, a group all across Canada has just received a what's called a breakthrough grant from the Canadian Cancer Society. It's a huge grant. It's uh, up to $40 million over five years. And uh, what they're hoping to do is to move the needle on pancreatic cancer, which still has a very low survival rate. Uh, uh, Dr. Moore, what's your reaction to that?
8: You know, I think that's fabulous news. And I, I think that... There are certain cancers that have kind of lagged behind in terms of advances or have been more difficult to treat. So I think this decision by the Canadian Cancer Society to support research into these difficult to treat cancers, like brain cancer, pancreatic cancer, stomach cancer, I think it's a very uh, I think it's a very good innovative approach. And I'm very successful that the team, uh, this team across Canada, many of whom I know very well, have been successful.
1: Dr. Malcolm Moore, a medical oncologist at Princess Margaret Cancer Center. Dr. Fahad Razak, an internist and epidemiologist at Unity Health Toronto. And Dr. Alyssa Naiman, a family physician and founder and medical director of The Medical Station in Toronto. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Following the medical record this past Wednesday, Libby announced some personal medical news of her own. We thought to air a portion of Libby's announcement today in case you missed it.
4: Some of you may have noticed that I have been absent a lot more than usual. And the reason is that I have been recently diagnosed with cancer Again. Now, the good news is that this is not a recurrence. It is a new cancer, and that means it is potentially curable. Uh, I am, uh, as always, getting excellent care at Princess Margaret. Now, last time when I had pancreatic cancer 14 years ago, I got a novel use of chemotherapy, and this time I will also be getting immunotherapy and I'm very, very hopeful about that. Uh, One thing I certainly have been getting is like a huge amount of support from my family, my husband, Doug, my brothers, Moses, and Sam, my friends, and my family here at work where everybody has just been great and very accommodating and also stepping in uh, when I am not here. My intention is. Uh, the best way to keep going is to keep going. You know, I've got to do my treatment, but I intend to keep working when I can and to keep doing all the other things that I love, like tennis, like cooking, like seeing my friends, you know, I'm just going to be living my life. Our Libby Nimer with news that she
1: has cancer again and is taking this journey one day at a time. Libby also writes about having cancer again in the current issue of Zoomer magazine. I've worked with and for Libby for nearly 14 years and, like everyone here, wish her all the best. Libster, you got this. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the Best of Fight Back. With Jane Brown.
1: Fight Back with Libby Nimer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics, and we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Rick in Wasaga Beach called about Mike Schreiner's consideration to leave the Green Party to run for leader of the Ontario Liberal Party.
8: I don't think uh, Mike joining the Liberal Party at the provincial level. Will hurt him or the party. I look at uh, back in the '60s when a strong Liberal Party took on Pierre Elliott Trudeau from the NDP. Didn't hurt either party, and I don't see it hurting uh, either party now.
1: Daryl in Toronto phoned in on the same topic.
6: To me, it would almost be like you know the Liberal Party has gone that low that they're almost kind of like being taken over by the Green Party. My sense would be. Um, they should be trying to draft Gerard Kennedy because, to me, he's, you know, the only one that kind of got away clean from the McGinty win era, and he seems to be a very popular person. I think he would be a good leader for the uh, Ontario Liberal Party, and frankly, they should probably roll the green in as a
0: faction of that party. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week,
1: but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Sita in Mississauga, who talked about her memories of the iconic Hazel McCallion.
9: I will not only remember ex-Mayor Hazel as a trailblazer, politician, but a down-to-art person she was. We were lucky to run into her 30 years ago in a grocery store at Price Chopper. I automatically give her a hug, and couldn't resist giving her a, a cheek pinch. She stopped and we chat for a while. Another time, my husband ran into her sitting alone in a restaurant and he jokingly said to her, Are you drinking at the job? And she laughed and said, She's waiting for her niece. And my son, when he graduated Sharon College, of course, Mayor McCullion was on the board and by fate, Work at a bank where she frequently visits and she chat with employees all the time. He was awe at a 95 plus. She was still doing her own things.
1: 416- three six seven nine six three six i'm jane brown join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of fight back
0: the best of fight back is produced by jane brown justin Eacock and zeev Hadi, with technical production by kelly robotham executive producer moses nimer